In a matter of minutes after this podcast was recorded, Banda Bin Mogren, the CEO of the PIF Investment Fund, was announced as director of NCUK Investment Limited, a company potentially with the transfer of funds for the sale of Newcastle United. Hello everybody and welcome to The Outcast from London Magpie Group surrounding football and politics at Newcastle United. The following podcast was recorded over Skype during the COVID-19 crisis. Stay safe. We're back for another Outcast Takeover Edition Part 2. I'm joined here by Jonathan Drape-Common, who is a friend of the show and you have a bit more expertise than your average fan. We're both average fans, obviously. I'm going through a bit of a process of trying to figure this all out, as many people are across the, the Twitterverse and more widely, more importantly. Where are you coming from with this, Jonathan? What's your take on the takeover situation? Well, I'm just in the same place as, um, as we all are. We, we still don't know what's going on and we, we just hang on every single word that we, we hear on Twitter. Um, I'm in the same position where I'm supposed to be sat at work doing work and I just have my phone next to me and I'm refreshing it every two minutes. Uh, I'm going onto George Culkin's Twitter and refreshing him every two minutes, uh, um, typing in NUFC in the search engine and seeing what's coming up. Um, so I'm in the same position as everyone else. I'll remain sceptical until it, until it actually happens. This has been 13 years now of, is it this time? Is it that time? And, I think about two years ago, after the last Stavely and Peter Kenyon saga and, and the Mexicans and the Nigerians, etc., um, I switched off from it in terms of getting my hopes up and things like that. Um, but since those those files came out, what, a few weeks ago, Company's House, and and we've had official letters written to the Premier League, etc., um, I'm back at squeaky bum time now. Um, I'm just hoping, hoping that we can get rid of Mike Ashley and then go from there, really. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot more meat to the bones of these stories. You've got a lot more credible and more spurious journalists probably making comment on quite tangible things. I certainly had my eyebrows raised when I saw the, the, the various companies' house information. The understanding I had of, I don't understand the finances of it all, but deposit being paid to make sure that they had some sort of exclusivity. I may be wrong about that, but that's my understanding of it as an average fan. Um, I alluded a little bit earlier about your expertise over the props, props the likes of myself. I mean, I'm I, like you, I'm, I'm sceptical uh, of the situation. 13 years has been a, a long and painful time for many a Newcastle fan. And we, we've all waited for this moment, in, in should it arrive in some capacity. Now it's time to cast the, the, the spotlight and focus on, on who we're actually getting. Um, and yeah. you've done significant levels of research into the, the PIF and um, the, the, the strategy and involvement in, in Western sports as well as other um, industries as well with the, the Saudi regime. Is that right? Yeah, um, I, I spent my, my bachelor's degree studying Saudi Arabia. Um, that was my topic of choice. And I've studied Arabic now for five years doing my bachelor's and my master's. Um, spent my master's studying the PIF. I wrote my thesis on PIF strategic and financial investments um, all around the world. And I also studied the royal family as well. I made my own software, which portrays the whole royal family. Well, not the whole, because there's, there's 19,000 roughly members of the Saudi royal family, but um, we put together a thousand members um, in an interactive format. So and that's with, that's with the help of, of lots of people who know a lot more than me in the industry. 
so yeah, I know a little bit about about the PIF, um, and it, it. Whenever this has came out, the Saudis has been something that I would never pique my interest because people who I've always spoken to have said that Saudi Arabia doesn't really have much of an interest in in investing in football and number one, and it doesn't have much of an interest number two and in ever investing in something as high profile as a Premier League football team. Um, it was even. Uh, there were even murmurs in the royal family when um, the Sheffield United owner started investing in Sheffield United, um, and also as well, it's it, it hasn't hasn't I haven't read anything so far. But the only other um, Saudi investment in football at the moment is uh, or was previously um, was Turkey Al Sheikh, who used to be the head of the General Sports Authority, invested in a team in in the Premier League in Egypt. He bought the football club. Um, and I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Pyramids FC, um, but he, he basically bought an Egyptian football club. Uh, being the billionaire that he is, he changed the name of the football club to Pyramids FC. He then changed, moved the team from the south of Egypt to Cairo um, and ran a mock for about a year and then was drove out of Egypt because of how much of a mock he ran. Um, so the, the suggestion that Saudi Arabia is would invest in a football team as high profile as a massive Premier League football team um, is a surprise, even given even given their investments in boxing, given their investments in, uh, in E1, given their investments um, in WWE. And even when they're bringing Super Cup finals from Spain and Italy to Saudi Arabia, it, it's, a, it's a massive, massive, massive step that until it happens, um, I still don't quite believe it. I mean, you can, you can look at... Um, what the Sheffield United owner has done, and, and he's he's a member of the royal family. Um, he's a, he's a distant member, but you know, um, I think he is a cousin of Mohammed bin Salman. Even though Mohammed bin Salman has hundreds upon hundreds of cousins, um, he's done things prim and proper. I'm I'm sure the former owner of Sheffield United, who he spent a long time battling in court with, wouldn't say that. But you know, he invested his shares in a football club. Um, he's a big football fan. Um, he did things what you would call the proper way and, and look at Sheffield United. They've gone from, they've gone from league one to the premier league in the space of a few years and they haven't done it by pulling up trees in any way. They've, they've done it the proper way. And, and I think, um, I think if, if they weren't owned by a Saudi and they were owned by a local guy, maybe like what Huddersfield were a few years ago, people would be saying a lot more about how, how well run the football club is. Um, but then on the other hand, if if you wanna if if we're gonna have a, an ownership like what Pyramids FC was, um, where you have a, a maverick who isn't part of the royal family but is a, is close to Mohammed bin Salman and close to the PIF and close to the people that will apparently be buying Newcastle, um, then it it could make a very interesting reading and, and we could be getting even more crazy decisions than than what Mike Ashley's given us down the years. That's a big call. A big call. I hope uh well, it, I mean, it's always a circus at Newcastle, but uh, it's been very much Ashley's circus for the last 13 years. Um, so I, I, I think that's a big, a big thing for me is that we, we have to come at this with our eyes wide open about, I mean, I've even done a lot of research into, very tertiary research into Sheffield United even. And my understanding at first was it, it was a Saudi, uh, somebody involved in the Saudi paper industry, but then they turned out to yeah. be, Upon further reading, as you say, a member of the royal family, so it's it's quite uh, an intricate web of of connections and, and and people involved in the the region. Um, but yeah. like we like we say that there seems to be this increasing involvement in in sport and in 
other industries as well. I, I guess we, we, we are you saying that we won't necessarily know what the the, the strategy or end game is going to be for the the PIF because a lot a lot of people have made the word sports washing has been touted yeah. by uh, Amnesty and and other groups as well. What 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 is your take on on this given your experience? Well, given given my own experience. I think it's 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 a little bit too simplistic to compare what Saudi Arabia are pot- potentially wanting to do to Qatar and Abu Dhabi. Um, sports washing is done for a wider audience. It's not done for the people in those countries. Um, sports washing is done for the United States and the United Kingdom and and all of the football fans in the most popular sport in the whole world to look at you in a good way. Um, that isn't. That's fair enough in Qatar and the UAE, which are fairly stable countries. Um, Abu Dhabi is a very stable state um, and Qatar is a very stable country. Um, Saudi Arabia is very different. Saudi Arabia has a population of 28 million people. It has a vast royal family. um, And it's also within the royal family, they are coming to the end of of the grandfather's, um, the grandfather's ruling the country. Um, So we're actually right now in Saudi Arabia, we are at a crucial, crucial stage where the pre, where the current king is coming to an end, and there may be a new king, and it may be for the first time ever be passed down to the next generation. Um, so everything that's done in Saudi Arabia, from oil prices um, to new laws about human rights to bigger crackdowns that we've seen ever before in Saudi Arabia, is done with the with the intention of what's going on within Saudi Arabia, everything's done in the domestic context. And things that are done in the foreign context are still done with the domestic context in mind. And that's kind of the main difference from Qatar and the UAE. So when Saudi Arabia buys a foreign football club, the main question that I would ask is, what's that got to do with anything that Saudi Arabia wants to do? And okay. I, can't, I can't really put those two things together. Um, it doesn't make sense. I've spoken to other scholars and academics who said, I have absolutely no idea. Um, I even two weeks ago, I messaged probably the, one of the top, um, academics in the world on Saudi Arabia. And he, in fact, I'll, I'll check my phone now, actually. He said, um, I think he said he's got absolutely no idea. And it's kind of the main thing as well. I think for people to always remember is that this is a very secretive state. It's not like Qatar and it's not like the UAE where, um, people can become friends with the government very easily. I think we've seen Professor Chadwick um, giving it the big one on social media. Um, he's a part of three or four committees within Qatar. Likewise, in the UAE, it's very easy for people to um, get in with the locals. In Saudi Arabia, it just doesn't work like that. So even people who you would think are in the know actually know very little. Um, so everything that you do hear about the country or that you do hear about what the PIF want to do take it with a pinch of salt because unless you hear it from the horse's mouth which we never do we just don't know it could be anything then from a broadening of of a power base and an influence to to sports washing we we just don't yeah. we think every, the, the, the key difference i've picked up there being that everything's done to the the benefit of domestically in saudi arabia to, to a significant degree it is yes because because un- unlike um unlike Qatar, which you know all countries around the world are no different and without getting into a a really boring international relations theory is that all countries just want to survive and maintain power because it's just how the world works. It hasn't changed in a thousand years. The main threat for Saudi Arabia comes from within. It comes from uh, the religious base within. 
it comes from the massive population within and it comes from within the royal family because people are always wanting to clamor for power. So everything in Saudi Arabia is about holding on to power, just like it is with every other country. But their main threat to power, it comes from the domestic sphere. So everything is done, or at least this is what people argue, everything is done with the domestic interests prioritized over the foreign interests, um, which isn't the case with Qatar and it isn't the case with the UAE. Um, so the, the the simplistic argument of sports washing, which is a really simple argument, um, I don't think it goes into as much detail as it as it really should. And, and it's 100% not right to just say that the Saudis are trying to do the exact same things that the Qataris are doing with PSG and that Abu Dhabi are doing with Man City. So in some sense, it might be churlish to assume that and it might be wise to see the known devil in Mike Ashley uh, yeah. leaving and, and post to that better the devil you know argument and, and, and see what happens with this, this ownership. Because we don't know yet who is even yeah, going to well, be in terms of representation. It, it could be... Uh, Amanda Staveley could be um, a representative of the, the Rubin brothers or one of the investors, or it could be someone more closely related to the the House of Saud. Direct, we yeah, just don't know. That, that that will say that will say quite a lot about their involvement. If if the takeover goes, and also as well, I'm I'm definitely not um, one of these people that would say better the devil devil you know because I'm I'm very just let's just get rid of Mike Ashley and we'll go from there. Take it from there. Um, however, you know, if we use Man City as an example, Khaldun al-Mubarak is placed in charge of Manchester City and he is within the inner circles of power in the whole of Abu Dhabi. Um, he's one of the most powerful people in the country and he's a close confidant of the most powerful people within the royal family. So if someone like Yasser al-Rumayan, who's the chairman of the PIF, um, is placed as the chairman of Newcastle United, then that's a very different story. That that's big news um, that they are placing Newcastle United that high up on their agenda um, because you can guarantee he can only sit on so many boards of di- boards of directors. Um, however, if 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 it's if it's a St- if it's Amanda Staveley or if it's a Rubin Brothers and we don't really hear that much of the Saudis or or we don't hear from any sort of PIF confirmation or PIF representatives, then it leaves that air of mystery which. I think at the moment, given all of the media circus that's around it, they probably prefer. All right. So let's actually talk about matters that we can actually impact on. And that's that support, yeah. that's attendance, that's following our, our, our football club. I mean, what, what does this mean for the football? What does this mean for the team, the fans? And we'll get on to in a minute what, what role we can play and what, what, influence we can possibly have on this whole process because that's been one of the big debate points of debate is how does our role as as fans you know can we be active participants in this debate or can are we just passive bystanders to the whims of of whoever comes in as ownership arguably like we've we've been with mike ashley um so what's what what's going to happen to the football what's going to happen to the 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 role of the fans in all this I think every fan has the right to make their own decision as to what they want to do. Um, but I, I think one important thing that I think we we maybe will get away from slightly if 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 we have new owners is is every fan can do what they want to do and and I don't think that argument has withheld under Mike Ashley at least in the past one or two years. I've been one of those people where I hold my hands up and say I judge fans who go home and away 
and spend all of their money and spend money at the club shop and give money to Mike Ashley and then complain about him. And I'm I'm one of those people who's a bit like, well, you know, you don't really have a, a leg to stand on when it comes to complaining about him. Um, I think we need, as a fan base, to move away from that. Yeah. Um, I think we need, as a fan base, to, to really come together. Um, of course, everyone's going to have different opinions, etc. Um, but the, the bickering and the shouting and the name-calling and everything like that is, you know, we need to probably show that we're a bit better than that. And, and the same same for me as well. I spend, I spend probably about 50% of my time on Twitter shouting at journalists um, and telling them everything that I think is shit about what they're doing. You know, I think we, we need as a fan base to start moving forward. Um, and number one in the big part of that is, is Mike actually leaving the club. Um, and I think that that coming together when that happens will, will stand us in really good stead going forward, irrespective of who, who the owner is. I think the big difference for me is that with Mike Ashley, what you had was a lot of cakeism, and that's not a that's not a fat joke or anything like that. It's just he wanted to have his cake and eat it. Where the football was concerned, he wanted it on his terms and the way he ran Sports Direct. Uh, but he also wanted promotion of his brand being paramount to everything that was done at the stadium. The 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 the, the worm turned for me very very significantly. Um, around the time you had all the the Keegan stuff, obviously was a huge thing. But when the you had the stadium rebrand and there was no tangible benefit from that other than to Mike yeah. Ashley's company, that's when for me the the worm turned and I thought, you know, I'm not attending games anymore. Um, this idea of attendance and acceptance, you know, it's that that's a yeah. a, a real minefield to try and try and navigate when you do that. And I, I wasn't prepared to to do that. Um, yeah. I think the difference that you'll, you'll probably see now is that it, it, there's a lot of people talking about, I'm not expecting this, but big spends towards the team, a very different approach to the finances of what goes on on the pitch and towards things like the team and the manager, um, yeah. which is where a lot of people had an, an axe to grind with Mike Ashley specifically because their value for money on their season tickets and their, their match day tickets was, was just non-existent. It was, yeah. it was that argument that we were just sports direct FC and nothing else. It's a good point is that, Newcastle fans, and, and I'm sure some fans probably wouldn't forgive me for saying this, but we're probably the, the we're very fickle and we are easily pleased. And that for me is also one of the most frustrating things about Mike Ashley is that he could have his cake and he could eat it and we would have let him eat it if he communicated with the fans, um, if he was honest, if he didn't show disrespect by changing the name of the stadium, if he didn't disrespect legends, if he didn't change the name of Shearer's Bar, if he stuck to his promises. These are all things that you don't have to have a billion pounds to do. These are all, you know, moral things and respect and trust and honesty. If he'd have done all of those things, i.e. as well, if new owners come in and do all of those things, then and then they want to have the shirt sponsored by Saudi Airways and they want to plaster Vision 2030 all over the stadium, if they communicate with the fans and they hold a fans forum and they hold a fair fans forum and perhaps they have a, mem- a, bo- a fan on the board they do things properly. I don't think many fans would kick up that much of a fuss. Because that's a, that's a sufficient compromise for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, and, and I think that it's, you know, owning a football club and, and especially owning a football club at Newcastle, it's, it's give and take. And, well, in fact, everything in life is give and take. But with, with Mike Ashley, it was take, take, take. And it's always been take. And it's never been give anything back. 
And if people will give something back to the club and give something back to the city, then we're more than happy because at the end of the day, we just want to have a good football team and we just want to go home happy and we just want to talk about the football. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, if, if you get the... In fact, I've said this lots of times. If you, for any new owner, if you come in and you get the fans on side, you don't have to spend any money. You don't have to do anything crazy. But if you come in and do the right things and say the right things and are honest and respectful, you're halfway there and the fans will push you the rest of the way. You don't need a billion quid. You don't need 500 million quid. If you're honest and respectful um, and you're sure that you get it, like Benitez, Shorty, Shorty gets it, the fans will push you. And when you're down, we'll keep you up and they'll take you the rest of the way there. Um, and that's the most frustrating thing about Ashley was that he, he actually had a great chance to do what he could with his brand and he, and he ruined it by being an arsehole, basically. Yeah, it was a pretty myopic way of looking things. And uh, yeah, to his detriment, ultimately. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm on a bit of a journey here with, with, with talking to, to yourself and, and other fans. And I think it's a healthy debate to have. I know we're talking about sponsorship and, and things like that. I think I put up on a personal level, I'd probably draw the line with, I've, I've not bought a, a shirt for a long time, for instance, anyway, because I like the classic shirts. Um, yeah. But I, I think I'm becoming increasingly disenfranchised generally with like the, the idea of the, the, the Premier League and what it represents. And, and some responsibility has got to be at, at that level and beyond that ministry and, and, and government level as well. Um, so I think I might draw the line at buying shirts with overt sponsorship, much in the way I, I did the same with like the Wonga deals and things like that, but, or, or fly a Saudi flag in, in my Twitter or otherwise. And I get why people are doing that because we've got this excitement and this, this potential um, improvement that can that can come forward and I think a lot of the things that you say there about decency to the, the people who are at the club who are investing in the club and 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 putting their money across hard-earned money across in good faith is yeah. is, is is the right thing really so it's I, I think that personally that's kind of where I'm at on on my journey is that I need mm -hmm. to kind of think about what benefits there are to, to unite the, the, the club and the fan base that's been fractured and torn apart, which is the thing that's being missed, I think, a lot in this discussion. It's just how fracturous that Mike Ashley's tenure has, has been in, in dividing yeah. the fan base along these lines. I think you're absolutely right that it's time to unite and it's time to think about how we can pull together in some sort of positive direction, but at the same time, make sure that we're, we're cognizant and aware of... of the pitfalls of what's just happened in the past for uh, 13 years and things like pyramids FC and um, all the other examples that we've, we've cited in this podcast. Yeah. And I, th I think that this is, this is a another, a another main thing is that going forward, it's, it's, we have, we have to talk a lot more and we have to, you know, argue a lot less and, and things like, you know, there's supporters groups and there's, there's individual supporters and there's the trust and there's websites we're all on we're all on very different pages, and and we certainly spend more time arguing. Um, and and also as well, something I've maybe I've only picked up on social media, um, which you don't necessarily pick up in the pub, um, is that we're very defensive. I don't think we've always been like that. I I think you know when you when you try to raise issues with with fans or you know with Newcastle fans, your first step back is always you know am I being attacked or um, how do I defend myself? I think we've seen it quite a lot with. Um, with Miguel Delaney um, on social media, 
Um, you know, there's been a big argument about, you know, Newcastle fans being attacked, but actually, you know, it's a case of journalists writing an article and fan responding and journalists responding and fans feeling like we're being attacked, um, which to an extent, you know, maybe it's true, but we, we, need, to, we need to be more positive, I think. Um, and, and the problem with Mike Ashley is that he's made being positive so, so difficult. Um, and we are a very suspicious, sceptical bunch now. Um, and we're not just sceptical of Mike Ashley, we're sceptical of each other. We're sceptical of Steve Bruce. We're sceptical of Shola Amiobi. Um, and that's, that's not right. We shouldn't be looking on people like that, even though we have a very good reason to. <laughs> OK, well, I think that's a good message to, to end on. Um, thank you for uh, my therapy session. Um, <laughs> it's been very helpful. And thank you for your insight, thank PIF, you. and the, the situation in general, the takeover and your hopes and thoughts for the next few years ahead. I, I really hope that what would be great is that we could chat again in a month or two months and just talk about football. Just talk about, you know, who we should sign or was that player shit at the weekend or do we need a new left back or, you know, is this academy player going to come through? Um, it would just be so great to just talk about football again and not have to worry about other stuff. <laughs> Consider it done. Two months' time. Yeah. Put your date in the diary. Hopefully, we'll either either Skype or not. <laughs> yeah, it'll, exactly. it'll get done. All right then. Well, thank you everybody for listening for the last couple of podcasts, and for now, and hopefully for the last time, it's over. And Ashley out. Bye for now. <laughs>